Namaste. Today we start as part of the series on writings of Shirbindo, a mini series on essays on the Gita, which, as we know, forms volume 19 of collected works of Shirbindo. What we find in this particular volume are a series of articles, essays, written in the Arya. And it has two series. The first series was 1916 to 1918 and the second was 1918 to 1920. The first series came out as a book in 1922, which shows the importance Shurabindu gave to this particular series. And the second one, second part came in 1928, in fact, as a complete book. Uh, but the relation of Shurabindu and uh, the Gita goes far beyond just the scripture or its interpretation. As we know that the Gita was not interpreted by Shurabindu as much as its meaning is revealed by Shurabindu and I would go one step further. It is like Sri Krishna coming himself and upgrading his own work. So this idea is unique to Indian thought which doesn't confine itself to one scripture or one god or you know which has taken place in far back times. In India, there is this uh, idea of the evolutionary movement of individual and the collectivity. The individual evolution takes place through the process of rebirth. So through the rebirth, there is a continuity, an inner thread of continuity from life to life through which we evolve, which is something very wonderful because it caters to the sense of evolution. And the Continuity of the collective evolution is through the avatar, Sambhavami Yoga Yoga. So, at each epoch, there comes uh, a, a divine figure, a divine who becomes divine representative or divine become human. And he leads um, the age from one age to another. This is the Indian conception and Sri confirms it. And the Gita stands very much uh, on this principle of avatarhood. So there are two ways that people very often interpret the Gita. One of course, uh, two or three ways. One, one of course is the standard thing which we read in the books that uh, Sri Krishna is the cow herd boy who has uh, uh, taken out as milk of the Upanishads and presented to us as the Gita. Uh, this is actually speaking to reduce the Gita. The Gita gives something which is not there in the Upanishads. It does contain the essence of the Upanishads. Some of the verses are as if reflecting of the Upanishads. But there, is, there are things in the Gita which are not there in the Upanishads. God doesn't repeat himself. So what is there which is not there in the Upanishads and yet there in the Gita? And uh, we find it in one of the aphorisms of Sri Aurobindo where he speaks about the four great events in history. One is the siege of Troy, which created the Hellenic, the, all the tribes, they came together and a new kind of culture flourished in Greece. And the second great event is the crucifixion of Christ, which from his cross, he humanized Europe. Uh, and the third great event is Sri Krishna's exile from Vrindavan. And there he writes, uh, it created devotional religion. Before that, there was mainly meditation and worship. If you go to the Vedantic teachings, in the Upanishads especially, you see this stress on meditation. It's a scripture of jnana, unparalleled jnana, without, without a doubt. 
Vedant, the end of knowledge. They explode knowledge to its far extreme. But in the process, though it is integral, in the process the stress was so much on the knowledge side that we see something which is missing, it's the heart. And it expresses itself through worship. Time to time we see in the Upanishads, um, worship to the Guru, worship to the Divine as Purushas. It's there, but that heart of Bhakti is missing. Uh, the Vedas have also the karma, but it got lost into external rituals, as we know, Karmkan. Though the Vedas and the Upanishads do speak about karma, but the Gita brings out all these elements which are running as very temporary or, or as a side tributary into the mainstreams and joins them together. So it becomes a scripture not just of uh, jnana as we see in Vedantic, the Upanishadic Vedanta, nor just as a, you know, gospel of karma, uh, which we generally find interpreted, but as the triveni of karma, jnana and bhakti. The three main strands of human nature. So Gita becomes a scripture with synth- it's a synthetic scripture. It it joins the different streams of human nature and makes a wonderful triveni. So this is first aspect about the Gita. That it's not just a gospel of karma. Uh, it is of course one of the best that has ever been written. But not just a gospel of karma. It's not just that serv Upanishad gavas that you know is the like the cow and Krishna is taking out the milk. Uh, whoever has written it, with all due respect, it's an understatement. At the same time, Gita brings out still something else, which is not there in the Upanishad. Hinted in a general way. The general way is that there is, of course, uh, descent of God in man as the imminent divine. is there in the Upanishads. But that this imminent divine who is within man, time to time takes stands in the forefront of the human quest and leads the human march forward. Lok Sangraharth, without which, you know, in critical junctions, uh, junctures of world history, without which humanity would collapse, the whole idea of avatar and avatarhood, it's not there in the Upanishads or the Vedas. It's very clearly in the Gita and brought out powerfully, though in just four um, wonderful slokas. So, this is the second aspect which the Gita brings out, which is missing. And not only that, uh, it's Shri Krishna doesn't just say that I am an avatar. He is not there to say that. But he says, Sambhavami Yuge Yuge, from age to age I come. So it gives a new sense to the, uh, even the sense of avatar, that it's not just an outer personality, but it is the divine who comes in different ways and different forms to lead humanity out of its uh, dull gravitational stage towards which it is degenerating. So these two elements stand very forcefully in the Gita. Then the third aspect that Sri says that every scripture has two uh, aspects. One is temporal. Uh, this is important to recognize because there are people who become slaves to scriptures. Now there are temporal aspects in a scripture. Like for instance, what time you have to wake up and uh, do the puja or do the namaz. Now this is based on very local temporal aspects, based on the sunrise, based on the way of life of people. Uh, and then there are eternal aspects which are of profound importance. Take, for instance, the pagdi of the Sikhs. It's a very temporal thing because people, have, it was they were fighting against a Mughal army. So how do they recognize who is uh, a Sikh soldier? So it was a very wonderful way. I mean, apart from being a wonderful protection to the head, a very natural way, it was a way that you could um, 
protect i mean you could recognize from a distance that here is uh, one of my kind so it was a very simple way also to keep the kada and kripan because you know you a warrior should never sleep he is always agile and vigil and those days it was fight by the dagger and the sword so there was no injunction to keep the revolver or the pistol it was the uh, kada and the kripan so kada of course as we know it also offers a solid defense and everything so certain things were very uh, either symbolic like kachha kachha is symbolic of brahmacharya so uh, all this was um, a way of life kesh you know don't be bothered about hair dressing and all this yourself and you know shaving his kesh you know is you are ready to fight a battle and uh, you shouldn't be bothered about all these things so this was the way that temporal aspects came in but if you read the guru granth sahib they have wonderful eternal aspects but mankind invariably picks up the temporal makes it the hallmark and misses out on the eternal aspects now in the gita shudrinder says most of it is the eternal aspect there is very little which is temporal and yet there are elements which are temporal for instance the context that there are the two armies fighting so obviously it starts with duryodhana uh, or rather dhritarashtra asking sanjay that you know tell me about what's happening and then he speaks about duryodhana he is uh, looking at the entire army and he says look you know before we have such wonderful warriors before us uh this is all shunya their army is nothing now all these are temporal aspects though even they carry a deeper meaning uh, for instance that uh, duryodhana is the braggart look at the two attitude and there we find to whom is the geeta addressed so there is on one side uh, duryodhana who is one of the protagonists who relies on his own strength he is strong there is no doubt about it that uh, the korva army was no not less you know it contained very Uh, great warriors some of the great warriors of that time but they relied on their own strength and it was not dharma they were trying to really protect or defend everybody had his own personal axe to grind or a personal uh, something to fulfill so that's how they were all uh, issues to fulfill and therefore they had come together um, or somebody was stuck by duty etc etc this is the attitude of duryodhana and what is the attitude of arjuna now we see uh, duryodhana is an extremely rajasik man ambitious uh, driven by egoism um, violent in temperament who wants to hold to his throne any which way on the other ha- side there is arjuna very satvik in nature he says i can fight this battle i mean he is a warrior of one of the greatest warriors in fact the world has ever known it's not just about uh, you know kurukshetra battle he had such weapons which he never used that also shows what kind of a warrior he was a warrior is known not just by the weapons he uses but also by the weapons he does not use which are there in his army you know in his armory his, his maryada in his own way but he is moved by a satvik impulse so that shows the kind of warrior that he is that though he can win uh, single handedly yet he doesn't want to fight the great battle because he is driven by feelings of attachment to his own family members kith and kin like any satvik man 
um, so there is these two kinds of humanity rajasic driven by egoism on the other side in uh, you know one of the protagonist even yudhishthir for that matter who are driven more by a satvik egoism it's not that arjuna is not egoistic shrubhita makes it clear he is also driven by ego human beings are driven by ego but the difference is arjuna is looking for a way uh, where all his egoistic satvik standards are not able to help guide him through this uh, juncture at which he stands so that's something very interesting about the gita that what is the kind of humanity to which gita is being given and shrivinda says it's being given to a humanity which is largely rajasic but with a satvik turn of being and therefore it becomes applicable to most of the humanity because most of us are you know rajagun sampan we are kinetic by nature we are driven by egoism like you know everybody else but many of us though driven by egoism um, understand that this world is not just for my satisfaction egoism is there but we take into consideration other needs others demands and therefore a rajasic uh, humanity with a satvik turn and people who are looking for a practical way in life gita is not addressed to a philosophical thinker though there is so much philosophy in it so gita doesn't go into the semantics of uh, spiritual literature but arjuna is not seeking that either though he gets a whole package he is saying that tell me what i should do this is the pragmatic man who is uh, who wants to know with reference to the action that he has to perform not just as a theoretical concept or a percept kita this is not arjuna square so most of us are in that sense we want to know what i should do in a real life situation so here comes the third misunderstanding about the gita which shirobindo clarifies in the beginning which thanks to certain uh, um, both western and modern indian intellectual thinkers they made gita into a gospel of duty so what is generally preached uh, gita teaches us that inaction asceticism is not the way instead man must do his duty so what is duty duty cannot be somebody appoints you to a job and you are doing the duty it's okay that's a good thing to do do the duty but what if your inner being changes so gita very clearly says that what if your inner being changes and you feel and he gives example of a judge whose duty is to send somebody to capital punishment as per the rules of the um, constitution or book that he is following penal code what if his heart changes and he begins to sincerely believe that capital punishment is like a murder what should he do should he continue to do the duty revolting against his inner being or should he listen to his inner being the gita's advice is listen to the inner being first so that's why it talks about sudharma and all the evolutionary process now this is itself is not an easy thing it's very easy to take okay blindly i'll continue to do my duty and it's very difficult to refer things inside and look inside as to what my own being is telling me and so he gives another example that uh, uh, many people would think that buddha left his duty towards his wife family uh, kingdom and went into the forest um, or shri ramakrishna for that matter you know as a temple priest and shrivinda says that if shri ramakrishna or uh buddha came to shri krishna and asked for advice shrubindu would say to buddha that you are moved by the suffering of humanity and you want to find a cosmic cure go ahead and find it 
he would not advise buddha that go back and rule the sakya kingdom look after your wife and children or child whatever it be and he would tell shri ramakrishna that if you must you feel the urge to throw all to the bonfire to discover divine go and discover the divine so there is something very beautiful about um, the gita's teaching it moves on a very vast landscape and the beauty is shrubindo brings out all these shades through the essays on the gita that's why they are essays some people may mistake that well and they look for it that you know where are the shlokas and translation first of all that's not quite the way to ever interpret a scripture this is how i i feel personally uh, verbal translation even nowadays google translator can do but every word has so many shades for instance the word yagya if you do a verbal translation it will say what is yagya and if you have to do a literal english translation it's it's about sacrifice but the word sacrifice itself carries so many shades we have the outer sacrifice the ritualistic sacrifice but in the gita one can see very clearly it is referring to the inner sense of the sacrifice but inner sacrifice itself is of two kinds one is of the nature of self mortification and that's how sacrifice is generally understood one must become a martyr one must mortify oneself if there is a choice between you and somebody else give way to the other person <laughs> become a martyr that's not sacrifice at all now this is a shade of meaning that shurbinda brings out the true sense of sacrifice is self purification its refinement any energy must go through refinement and as it gets refined and purified it's uplifted then you see the real deeper sense of this word so it's not a literal translation word to word like you know you would find in standard books where some people even do the vyakhya of each word like tilak's gita uh, you know or many others um, very nice by the way uh, long back i had read but still it's nice he picks up a word and gives a little different shades of meaning it's not like that but it gives us something much higher and much better it gives us the deeper intrinsic value of what those words contain we all know that words can uh, convey whole lot of meanings and especially when they are given in a language which is in far back times so that's why shubindo start by saying uh, our concern is not what the gita meant or uh to those people in times when it was given it may have meant different things he says our uh, whole idea of turning to the gita is what truth we can derive for the present and how it can help us grow into a truer deeper inner life and help us towards the future very clearly he says that it's not about meaning it's not about semantic pedagogy but we must understand when shrubindo is writing that he is a master of masters even in philology so it is understood that when shubindra says that go beyond the written word the gita itself says shabd shabd brahmati vartate go beyond the word written or spoken but at the same time shubindra has taken into consideration is understood because of his vast and deepest knowledge of uh, so many languages including sanskrit so he had that he is the he is the most qualified uh, person if i may say so to give us the intrinsic meaning of the gita having said that and there are of course other things also having said that every shloka of the gita is there in essays in the gita in fact several places they have even mentioned i think it's mentioned throughout the book so there is every shloka which is given but some he has expanded into he has brought in all the different sides different shades of meaning which makes it really really wonderful very engaging 
Otherwise, many things are missed out. For instance, Chaturvarni. Now, in today's context, if we try to understand the fourfold order of society, it may look very otios because it has been broken by the time spirit, which is none else but the divine himself. But what it really meant, and in some way, it still runs as the backbone of you know man's social and collective evolution. We may outward form has gone, but there is a truth behind human journey. Evolving from the state of uh, complete absorption with physical world through a vital uh, engagement with life, and then through a intellectual development, and finally towards a higher spiritual consciousness. So one can see he brings out all these different shades. So um, uh, it it's so wonderful. Now Shurbindo has written not only in the Arya the essays on the Gita, several other essays on the Gita. And personally, I have found one of the most beautiful essays, uh, which are part of a series of articles he wrote in the Bangla writings, uh, which were published in Dharma. They are very, very beautiful. They are um, later on he has written in Yugantar also, but those writings are lost. So there he brings out the first six chapters of the Gita. There are things there which we do not find in essays on the Gita. So I personally feel an introduction to the Gita. In Bangla, it is Gitar Bhumika, and um, I hope they bring it out uh, as a separate book. It used to be available as a separate book in Hindi, Gita Ki Bhumika, and I had thoroughly enjoyed it. So that is a kind of complimentary read because it explains what is Sanjay's vision. Modern thinkers would say, "Oh, that's a way of presenting." Or it's a way that you know. How could anybody see? So, or they will think there was technology developed that there was actually a television, and Sanjay was seeing all that. Like you know, the war was being relayed. <laughs> Shubindo makes it very clear that there is a faculty of subtle vision and a faculty of divine vision, and it has been granted for a particular purpose. So he makes it very clear that it's not on on a television screen that this was being relayed. But actually, Sanjay was given this uh, capacity of subtle vision by Vyasa, so that he could see and and whereas Arjuna was given the faculty of divine vision at a point of time. So when we look at it from these perspectives, it's something very interesting how he brings out those elements. Then Arjuna's Vishad Yoga, Shobindo in in Bengali writings reveals to us that it is um, actually Sri Krishna's Vaishnavi Maya. Through which he brought out in him those elements of attachment and affection and sentiments, which would have come up at some point in the battle, and it would would have been paralyzing and disastrous for a warrior suddenly in the middle of the battle to say, "Oh, grandsir, you are there. No, I'll not fight." So he brought out all these elements, purged them through, uh, quelled all these doubts, and therefore prepared him for the fight. And Many such things. It's a wonderful read. Then we see in the Karmiyogin. Karmiyogin actually used to bear uh, a picture of um, you know Sri Krishna and Arjuna uh, on all the issues. So in Karmiyogin we see a series of essays on Karmiyoga, which is uh, wonderful. And several places he has written about the Gita's teachings. In the synthesis of yoga, one will see in uh, Yoga of Divine Works so much about one can directly connect with the Gita. So, but essays on the Gita is we can say in a way his final commentary on the Gita, the book, the Gita. But and here comes the most important part that for Shurabindo, Gita was not uh, just a book. Uh, Sri Krishna, we know he is deeper connect with 
Sri Aurobindo and it's very interesting. When did the connection start? We don't know. We have a tendency to fix things in time by the human mind based on what has been revealed. And always I uh, I feel that this is a tendency which very often reduces truth because we are going by what Sri Aurobindo revealed to us. What if there are things he never revealed to us? For example, during the three days, uh, often we say Sri Krishna came to him in the Alipur jail. The way that communication takes place, it doesn't look like for the first time Sri Krishna came to him. When you actually see that communication, it is like he came to him and they are talking as very, you know, speaking as, why did you bring me here? I had asked you only this. But if you really go back to another interesting experience of Sri where he had the experience of nirvana in three days time, much later he writes to one of his disciples, you say as if uh, I am born extraordinary and by my extraordinary powers or effort I got the nirvana in three days if you like. But it came to me by the grace of the Guru or of Krishna and Kali if you like. And then we actually see Kali who is the consort of Krishna during that time and you know battlefield of Kurukshetra. He speaks about uh, you know he when he adores Bhavani, Kali in Bhavani Bharati and many other places. Basically it seems that uh, Sri Krishna is there in his life. His practice of equanimity even in Baroda. So there is constantly this uh, aspect of Krishna which is coming up. But yes in the Alipur jail we see the first documented, well-described vision, not just a vision, but uh, something which grows into a greater and greater closeness. And when we read many of the aphorisms that Sri has written on Sri Krishna, uh, it's very clear that it started there, but it culminated in the grand, um, not just identity, which he had realized with Krishna much before, but a fusion of Sri Krishna's personality as the avatar of the Dwapar, into Shurvindo, who is the avatar of the uh, Kaliyuk, leading us towards a new Satyug. And that's when we see that the new Yugdharma was given to Shurvindo. Sri Krishna's fusion meant that he is now told, Look here, now this age is yours. So from 1908, when Shurvindo enters the Elipul jail to 1926, we see that the avatar of the Dwapar age is preparing the avatar of the because Sri Aurobindo is a much bigger, you know, on his plate. <laughs> Dwapar was still okay. Many new things have flowed in from that time. And Sri Aurobindo says in the essays on the Gita, very first chapter, that a lot of new material has flown into the consciousness of humanity. For instance, people want to know about molecular biology vis-a-vis, you know, Gita. Where does it stand? So, a lot of new things have come up. And human mind now has gone through a whole period uh, of, you know, atheism, skepticism, doubt, positivism, Marxism, uh, imperialism, name it. And, you know, Sri Krishna that way had to handle Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra within the context of India. And most of the people at least understood, at least they paid a lip service to dharma. But now, Sri had to deal with the densest form of Kali and take the age further. So, a much greater task for him. So, Sri Krishna is with him and in 1926, as per how I look at it, he passed on the baton that 
नखत अम आके डूब गए सारा आकाश तुम्हारा ना दिस फील्ड इज यॉर्स यू टेक ओवर फ्रॉम यर सो वेन शुरविंदर राइट्स एस एज ऑन द गीता वील फाइंड वर्ड्स लाइक सुपरमेंटल इंटेग्रल गॉड हेड यू वंडर बिकॉज श्री कृष्णा डिड नॉट यू नो स्पीक अबाउट दैट बट सेवरल प्लेसेज यू सी दैट श्री कृष्णा इज लीडिंग एस टू द डोर्स ऑफ द सुपर माइंड ही डजेंट ओपन द डोर बट ही लीड्स एस टू दैट डोर एंड वाई ही डजेंट ओपन वेल इट वुड हैव मैंट दैट श्री कृष्णा वेन बियॉन्ड हिज ओन ब्रीफ इट वुड हैव मैंट दैट ह्यूमैनिटी नॉट येट रेडी फॉर दैट ट्रेमेंडस पावर एंड विजन would have collapsed or got confused that's why shubindu had to write so many volumes because he is bringing something so new and unprecedented in earth history and of course the mother so all because of all this we see essays on the gita assumes a new significance it is not only by someone who had the complete revelation of shri krishna so people often say well there were lot of people earlier who to whom shri krishna was revealed but look carefully I don't want to name, but Madhava Charya, Vallabha Charya, Mira Bai, many other Vaishnava saints. You see, with which aspect of Sri Krishna did they find <laughs> rapport with? Sri Krishna Vrindavan. All of them, top heavy <laughs> Vrindavan Madhra, <laughs> Vrindavan is Sri Krishna, Ras Lila is Sri Krishna, um, Kans Vadhi is Sri Krishna, and all the. images of shri krishna in all the temples but where is shri krishna of the gita and when shurabindu is in 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 this 1900 earlier part we see it is the kurukshetra which is calling so shri krishna received the gita where it should be received not sitting in an ashram but in the alipur jail how he says shri krishna came to me and he gave he placed the geeta in his in my hands his strength entered into me and then i realized the truths of the hindu religion because that is the best moment it's a moment of crisis in which the geeta is revealed to you and it's a crisis of an extraordinary proportion so geeta was revealed to shurbindo in much the same way as it was revealed to arjuna or rather in a much more difficult situation and circumstances for arjuna it was still a filial battle in which the clans and tribes were fighting and shri krishna knew that the path of dharma has to be open with shurabindo he was face to face with a situation where there was an entire empire against whom the fight had to be waged and based on the result of this fight um, hung the balance of humanity not only india because if india survives humanity survives india and humanity so the crisis of a much much deeper kind so shri krishna comes and all the truths of the gita reveal to him we see in uttarpada speech so there is a direct revelation there is also the avatar of dwapar revealing to the avatar of the future so shubindu takes up the gita and adds to it something which we do not find in any of the commentaries and maybe we can read a little bit from there so um commenting on this aphorism this aphorism which i was mentioning is there in thoughts and aphorism there are four very great events in history the siege of troy the life and crucifixion of christ the exile of krishna in vrindavan 
and the colloquy with Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. So then he gives the significance. The siege of Troy created Hellas. The exile in Vrindavan created devotional religion for before that there was only meditation and worship. Christ from his cross humanized Europe. The colloquy at Kurukshetra will yet liberate humanity. Mark the word yet changing everything. Yet it is said that none of these four events ever happened. So the mother was asked to comment upon this. And she comments, Shurabindu considers the message of the Gita to be the basis of the great spiritual movement which has led and will lead humanity more and more to its liberation. So, basis, in fact, in, if you read through Shurabindu's uh, letters, uh, he says, practice of the yoga of the Gita is a very powerful and direct means of entry into his own yoga. Similarly, Vedanta, he says that it's very good because it gives you a basis that there is one reality, many of the things. It's, it's wonderful if one has practiced Vedanta. But practice of the yoga of the Gita is like a welcome road into <laughs> Shavinda's yoga because they, it forms the basis of the spiritual movement. And then she says, uh, which has led and will lead humanity more and more to its liberation. That is to say to its escape from falsehood and ignorance. Liberation is not about, the Gita is not talking about you will not come back to life and birth. These are all nonsensical or rather very narrow conceptions of liberation which came up um, from a humanity which was tired and overpowered by sattvic illusion because it wanted to escape from the great battle of life. And that's not what the Gita is about. Gita's moksha is very clear even at the end. It doesn't say, I'm going to cut your life to rebirth cycle. It says, I'll free you from that falsehood which is the basis of all sin, crookedness, evil, fear. I'll release you from that. Towards the truth. From the time of its first appearance, the Gita has had an immense spiritual action. But with the new interpretation that Shurabindu has given to it, its influence has increased considerably and has become decisive. So, what is um, some interesting things about uh, this interpretation? Now we see it is the first part is uh, series is 24 chapters and the second series is 12 plus 12, 24 chapters. In the first part of 24 chapters, we can take 6 chapters aside. They are very beautiful background where Shurabindu introduces us to the demand and need from Gita, to who is uh, the divine teacher, who is Arjuna the disciple, what is Kurukshetra, how man meets the battle of life and uh, core of the Gita's teachings. These are the six aspects that he um, brings out into the forefront. So it gives us a very good background. So um, first he tells us how we should uh, enter into this scripture. It's not, uh, you know, Mother says in one of his, her beautiful small little prayers in prayers and meditation, a teaching is useless if you don't intend to live by it. It's alright, we read and we can remember, all this is fine, but we need to live by the teaching. So here he says, if we steep ourselves, the very first chapter, our demand and need in, of, from the Gita if we steep ourselves in the spirit of this great scripture and above all, if we have tried to live in that spirit, 
we may be sure of finding in it as much real truth as we are capable of receiving as well as the spiritual influence and actual help that personally we were intended to derive from it so it's not just a scripture to be read by the mind and analyzed actually one can find help from it it's in a way true of all true spiritual scriptures and shubindu starts with the gita that it is a spiritual scripture one can derive actual spiritual help from it so this is something very interesting and that is after all what scriptures were written to give the rest is academical disputation or theological dogma that doesn't really concern us whether gita says this this is true or bible says that or vedanta says that let people dispute but our task is to discover the krishna within and to grow by the touch of that godhead upon our human life and the gita gives us a wonderful path towards that so he says about all this <laughs> very beautifully only those scriptures religions philosophies which can be thus constantly renewed relived the stuff of permanent truth constantly reshaped and developed in the inner thought and spiritual experience of a developing humanity continue to be of living importance to mankind now we understand what mother has said that by his uh, new interpretation it has given a new extended the power and influence of the gita and so people who you know take great pride we have one scripture one god it means that it has become fossilized it's so dangerous it's so harmful it's like now we don't evolve we are stuck in some baba adam century and life moves forward but we are very happy that what was written for the desert of arabia i must apply on the streets of kolkata that's not how one understand and see the damage that is caused by remaining stuck with that so in india for and one classic example for instance valmiki ramayan now valmiki ramayan is wonderful but many of us have read tulsidas ramcharit manas it is so beautiful now it's also life of rama many new things he has brought out shurbindo savitri the same story but he has raised it to nth level savitri story from the mahabharata to the power of infinity if you want to put it and given a completely new scope and significance so he says only those scriptures have a meaning which have been continued to be relived the rest remain as monuments of the past but have no actual force or vital impulse for the future and one may say that they become dangerous to the future because the truth escapes and only the outer shell remain darkened by ignorant human minds and he makes it very clear the gita is not a weapon for dialectical warfare it is a gate opening on the whole world of spiritual truth and experience and the view it gives us embraces all the provinces of that supreme region it maps out but it does not cut up or build walls or hedges to confine our vision this is something so important to understand even about shurbindo's writings somebody asked the mother that mother uh, so humanity will evolve higher mind first then illumined mind then intuitive mind over mind because that's how it is described in the life divine so mother said who told you so <laughs> so the person doesn't know so mother shubhendra has written like that says so, you no know, but now that the super mind is already here it may use its own way why you want to limit that is the ascension of consciousness he spoke about and this is valid as steps but super mind is here already 
and it can act in ways which we cannot understand. It means directly intuitivize humanity. At least that's how I look at it. That it is acting in ways which human mind cannot comprehend. It's not like first you will have a race of higher human beings, higher humanity. Then you have a race of illumined minds. Everybody will be like Buddha, and then you have a race of, you know, intuitive mind. It will straight away lead humanity towards intuition, and then toward the next level. And so he says, we of the coming days stand at the head of a new age of development, which must lead to such a new and larger synthesis. We are not called upon to be orthodox Vedantins of any of the three schools, Dvaita Dvaita and Vishista Dvaita. Dvaita, Dvaita, combination also some people use. Or tantrics or to adhere to one of the theistic religions of the past or to entrench ourselves within the four corners of the teachings of the Gita. One can see how futuristic Sri is in 1914. Rather 1916, if technically I mean, as on the Gita. He is speaking a language which will appeal to our modern mind today. He is not asking us to, you know, believe in a theological dogma. But to look at the beauty of the teaching which is vast, that would be to limit ourselves uh, or to entrench ourselves within the four corners of the teaching of the Gita. Some people say that, you know, does the teaching of the Gita give the whole message of Sri Aurobindo? himself says no. And the mother herself says no. There is something more. That's why. Otherwise, it was, it's not a rewriting of the Gita. But definitely, the way Shurabindo has interpreted or revealed to us through essays on the Gita, definitely it prepares us much better to receive the future. We do not belong to the past dawns, but to the noons of the future. Our object then in studying the Gita will not be a scholastic or academical scrutiny of its thought. Nor to place its philosophy in the history of metaphysical speculation. Nor shall we deal with it in the manner of the analytical dialectician. We approach it for help and light. And our aim must be to distinguish its essential and living message. That in it on which humanity has to seize for its perfection and its highest spiritual welfare. And then start the next chapter, the divine teacher. Now, what is that key? What we have just read here. So, mother gives that. Uh, mother reveals one of the small stories where um, somebody handed her a very poor translation of the Gita and gave her the key this way: that take Krishna to be the immanent divine, the divine within man. And she read it with that attitude. And she realized the truth of the Gita. Mother, before she came to Shirobindo, was not only an adept in the Buddhist school, not only had she mastered all the different types of Tantra, but in her own way, but she was also an adept in the Yoga of the Gita. She had realized the immanent divine walking on the path of the Gita. So, Shirobindo says something very similar with regard to who is the divine teacher of the Gita. The Gita accepts the human avatarhood. For the Lord speaks of the repeated, the constant manifestation of the divine in humanity. But it is not this upon which stress is laid. But on the transcendent, the cosmic and the internal divine. Making it universal and catholic. So, he is, you know, very often people say that Arjuna had Sri Krishna. We too have the same Sri Krishna. He is the immanent divine within man. Not just the imminent, but also the cosmic and the transcendental. So he says that it is uh, 
on the source of all things and the master of all and on the Godhead secret in man. It is this internal divinity who is meant when the Gita speaks of the doer of violent asuric austerities troubling the God within or of the sin of those who despise the divine lost in the human body or of the same Godhead destroying our ignorance by the blazing lamp of knowledge. Because the Gita has that, you know, who are the asuras, the doers of violent deed, they know him not, they despise manushitanu ashitam, and they mistreat the human body. And if you read the Gita, next time when we see a sadhu sleeping on a bed of nails and uh, once I remember going for this, one of these mini combs in Shipra, you know, Jain. Somebody, a big sadhu is sleeping on a bed of thorns. I say, but this is asuric. He's not a sadhu. This is the asuric way of releasing oneself. God is so much. She said, what do you mean? I said, he's torturing himself so much that God will say, okay, come back. Poor fellow, you know, you are no good for me. You cannot do anything for me in this world. So you please come back. Don't torture yourself. So this is, and yet, because we have, we are not exposed to the great teaching of the Gita. We have just read those WhatsApp gyan. Gita says, "Jo hua acha hua, jo hoga acha hoga, ye hua, wo bhi acha hua." All this nonsense which goes on in the name of the Gita. Gita is not that. Look at the beauty. It is teaching us a path to realize the inner divine first. Then it is teaching us, showing us the way the divine works in humanity, the unique cosmic divine. And then it takes us still further. That Sarva Dharman Right there we see the transcendent Godhead who says, Turn to me and nothing can touch you or affect you. That is the beauty of the Gita. It takes us step by step through all these three levels. It is then the eternal avatar, this God in man, the divine consciousness always present in the human being, who manifested in a visible form, speaks to the human soul in the Gita. And if we just pick up this key, the rest becomes so easy. So, um, then he says something very beautiful, the relation of Krishna and Arjuna. Okay, there is something about uh, the divine teacher, what about, how does he relate with us? So, in the very beginning, why does he lead man right to this doorstep of the war? Why doesn't the divine do magic? He just chants a mantra and there is no war. Suddenly, Duryodhana undergoes a heart change and mind change and transplant of everything. Why doesn't he do that? So, here, Shurabindo reveals another interesting truth. And it so much applies to us that God is inside. What is he doing? Secondly, there is the typical, almost the symbolic significance of the human Krishna who stands behind the great action of the Mahabharata, not as its hero, but as its secret center and hidden guide. Imagine, just like human and the divine within. Everybody praises the human. Oh, wow, what wonder. But a true human being knows it's not mine, it is all he has done it. So similarly in Kurushetra war, everybody, Arjuna must be killed, Arjuna must be captured. Only Shakuni knew that fellow, Dorth, that nothing will happen if you capture Arjuna. Until you capture Krishna, you have no chance of winning the war. The only fellow, because he is just the shadow of Krishna. He knew that as long as Krishna is there, this war is a long foregone conclusion. 
and towards the end he actually tries to you know uh, somehow defeat krishna he knows where the battle is being fought so he says that that action he is the secret center that action is the action of a whole world of men and nations some of whom have come as helpers of an effort and result by which they do not personally profit and to these he is a leader some as its opponents and to them he also is an opponent as is the shraddha divine plays the rules game according to the rules we have set for him it's something very interesting all that he has decided is that he will have the final victory that is last word is his otherwise there will be chaos but he says okay choose what you want sir we want to embrace you as your lover come i'll crush your ego yes sir, that's what you want another what you want i want to wrestle with you come what will be the end <laughs> your ego will be gone what is the difference one will be delight other will be pain till you are free from it so he there is a lot to do with our own faith the mother says men do not know how important is faith she says the divine is with you according to your faith if you believe that the divine is cruel and far he will be cruel and far because that is necessary for you to progress if you believe that the divine punishes you and judges you he will act as if he is doing that but if you believe that the divine is uh, always ready to lift you out he is grace incarnate then always you will experience in your life the divine is grace as the embodiment of mercy and compassion so she says as is your faith exactly what the gita says as is the faith that men put into me so i receive them so that's how shrimindu says this faith can also be that the divine doesn't exist so divine says okay i don't exist for you i had a long discussion with one of those uh, so called scientifically minded one somebody working in some laboratory in us and all this went on back and forth and i said see i am not uh, i don't want to convince you whether god exists or not why don't you do one thing you lead your life with this clarity that god doesn't exist wonderful what is the problem and go through the consequences that was the answer only answer which shook him up till that it was like very convenient i said okay god doesn't exist for you fine you believe that it's a belief system for others fine for you it doesn't exist and then after couple of weeks he says uh, i didn't mean it this way i didn't mean it that way <laughs> i said well what and what you meant <laughs> because then you get hit when you really contemplate on the idea that there is no divine then your existence itself you pull the carpet below you are just nothing but matterocules not even animal cules what is your existence what is the meaning of the babbling of the neurons inside your brain it is all meaningless so suddenly you realize but the divine meets you like that you will not see him or his hand everything will appear chance accident random events because we have started by this approach so to those who oppose him he appears as the baffler of their designs and their slayer and he seems even to some of them an instigator of all evil like burishrava and destroyer of their old order and familiar world and secure conventions of virtue and good poor krishna no other god have they put so much in the dockyard as shri krishna and that's why at one of the place shri bindu speaks about 
corrupter of youth and his morals that's how human beings have looked upon him but he was a liberator from all these kinds of conventions but revealing to him them a greater truth not a liberator of the kind where one falls below some are representatives of that which has to be fulfilled and to them he is counselor helper friend and then he says how he works where the action pursues its natural course or the doers of the work have to suffer at the hands of its enemies and undergo the ordeals which prepare them for mastery the avatar is unseen or appears only for occasional comfort and aid pandavas through the 13 years where is krishna where is krishna they have to be prepared it's not just about battle they have to win they could have won the battle it's about what happens next to reign uh, arivart by dharma so they have to be prepared this way a king who has never left the palace and learned to live as the most common person is not suited so we see same in rama ram rajya rama and krishna two great ones with whom we swear both teach that if unless you are the greatest of renunciate within you are not ready for governing a kingdom and in orobil's context the mother says something very similar she says um, she says democracy is useless it's she doesn't believe in that a lot of things about it but then she says that uh, there should be a group of four or eight persons uh, today we'll call it oligarchy but it's not oligarchy in the way it is understood uh, so she will be representative of the divine in humanity idol is one but if not then yes four or eight then she says who will be these persons she say they will be totally disinterested in any personal gain they will not be acting for any selfish personal motives she says they are the people who can live calm who can live like a sage with no needs requirements they will be the uh, they will be the beacon lights and ready to govern the worlds of the future they will be literally to use a modern phrase kind of sanyasi within but in action outside you can recognize couple of them in indian context which is something so beautiful people don't understand all this because they are all into right left and center <laughs> doesn't matter which uh, ideology you belong to but if you are a renunciate within you are going to be the ruler of the future world and that's what is going to be promoted otherwise you may be very powerful and you crash down so he says that um, because you have to grow so he allows but at every crisis his hand is felt <laughs> so he allows you to go through the process of evolution but whenever you say krishna 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 draupadi pukari then he comes he says okay stay so that's how he is felt yet in such a way that all imagine themselves to the protagonist and even arjuna his nearest friend and chief instrument does not perceive that he is an instrument and has to confess at last that all the while he did not really know his divine friend he doesn't know that he with whom he is put his put his hand around his shoulders and gone around joking and pranking is none else but the divine so see how he leads divine doesn't do that i am god i'll sit on a pedestal get me garlands he doesn't do that he becomes the commonest of the commoner there is a great beauty when we say cow herds boy he is like any other person who is 
living in the farm. That's the beauty of the divine. He has received counsel from his wisdom, help from his power, has loved and been loved, has even adored without understanding his divine nature. But he has been guided like all others through his own egoism. And the counsel, help and direction have been given in the language and received by the thoughts of the ignorance. Divine understands it. Very often we don't understand. Don't worry. Divine understands that we don't understand. <laughs> he has taken into account, put it in his data system. This fellow doesn't understand. So all the steps to help him understand through life that he has already catered for that. And how Shirobindar reveals the same truth in Synthesis of Yoga. The divine knows himself in the heart of the seeker. He knows. We do not know. It doesn't matter. He knows. He will take care. Our task is to do things with sincerity. As much as we can command, turn to him, offer to him, leave the rest to him. He is within us. Until the moment when all has been pushed to the terrible issue of the struggle on the field of Kurukshetra and the avatar stands at last, still not as fighter, but as the charioteer in the battle car, thus the figure of Krishna becomes, as it were, the symbol of the divine dealings with humanity. He is within us. How does he guide us? Through our egoism and ignorance, we are moved. He doesn't say, oh, you are being egoistic. Oh, you are ignorant fool. He doesn't, uh, you know, do's and don'ts every time. He is not a schoolmaster. The last thing that the divine is a schoolmaster. And the last method he likes, that's why people often ask Shurabindu, Sir, why do you give such a long rope? He says, to see how far you can go. And then he says something very interesting. He says, uh, Niroda's letter to him, Sir, it is said that you often give a long rope to your disciples. He says, that's the only way you can create supermen. You can't create supermen by binding them with these rules, that rule and hundred rules. You can't create them. Because then it's not authentic. It's all a made up show. Very nice sadhu bachas. But the real evolution happens when you face and confront life in outside and life within. Two sides of one reality. And you go through it taking God's name. Through our egoism and ignorance we are moved, thinking that we are the doers of the work. Wanting of ourselves is the real causes of the result. <laughs> and that which moves us we see only occasionally as some vague or even some human and earthly fountain of knowledge. Aspiration, force. It's not a human fountain but look at him like that. And the action in which the divine figure moves is the whole wide action of man in life. Not merely the inner life, but all this obscure course of the world which we can judge only by the twilight of the human reason. As it opens up dimly before our uncertain advance, the little span in front. This is the distinguishing feature of the Gita. That it is the culmination of such an action which gives rise to its teaching and assigns that prominence and bold relief to the gospel of works which it enunciates with an emphasis and force we do not find in other Indian scriptures. Not only in the Gita but in other passages of the Mahabharata we meet with Krishna declaring emphatically the necessity of action. But that is how we become aware. That's what the mother says that Hours of contemplation should always be compensated or combined with works because it is through action that we become aware.
through action that we face the challenges of life through action that we grow and the divine lets us move even though our least tumblings are foreseen above if he seems to let us fall it's only so that we can rise to a greater height but it is here that he reveals its secret and the divinity behind our works we'll stop with the divine teacher and continue this will be like a mini series because it's so wonderful i don't want to rush through the whole book namaste